Educators need to hear from leaders who have spent time in education and in the private sector. Tim Nolan is one of these people. We are thankful we had the opportunity to pick Tim's brain. His perspective is clear and extremely pragmatic. Leaders, take note and consider how Tim's perspective can impact your day-to-day -day work life. Enjoy. Well, hello, welcome to Leader Chat, everyone. I am Jeff Rose, and if you are members of the Leadership Circle, likely you are watching this video on whether we you're watching it as we air it live or after we send it to you and using this as for your continual professional development and your own learning or doing so with your teams. Some of you are hearing via the publicly available podcast, Leader Chat. And either way, um, we are excited. We're always excited for these conversations. I find myself um, not just only intrigued, but um, constantly focused on all of this incredible new content and perspective that we try to bring to you based upon the challenges that we know educational leaders are struggling through, but also the relevance of the perspective being shared. And today um, is no different. I'm gonna be interviewing Tim Nolan, who has worked with over 10,000 leaders in well over 100 organizations to help drive sustainably high levels of employee commitment, engagement, performance, and retention. In addition to his accomplished consulting career, Tim has worked uh, for three years as a middle school teacher. He has applied his experience in the school system on his latest book, The Essential Handbook for Highly Effective School Leaders, obviously an extremely relevant topic. Tim is passionate about helping school leaders create empowering, positive, and supporting environments to align with the needs of today's teachers. Tim has graduate degrees in human services, psychology, and a doctor of education in performance improvement leadership. You can find out more about him at... Uh, www.highlyeffectiveschools.org. And what is going to be exciting about this discussion is that um, Tim isn't just a traditional educator. And I think it's important that you understand that as we kind of engage in this discussion. And that's very intentional on our part. And so you'll see that will be a theme both Tim and I will discuss. So let me welcome Tim to the screen. Tim, how you doing? Doing great today. How you doing? I'm doing great. So you're in you're in Florida. Um, I'm here in Alpharetta, Georgia. Weather's not bad, that's for sure. But I don't think it's the same as where you're sitting. Am I right? It's about seventy five degrees right now. It's pretty nice. Pretty nice. And what's what's funny is that I think as soon as we finish our leader chat, my uh, Uber will be ordered, and I will be on my way uh, to the Atlanta airport, which is always an adventure and headed down to Florida for a, a conference I'll be speaking at. So I'll be I'll be joining you in the 70, 80 degree weather, uh, probably within a few hours. So thanks for coming today. I really appreciate this. And uh, how has how have things been for you specific to maybe even, you know, negotiating, supporting leaders during, you know, it's kind of a turbulent time, exciting time in education, but I assume you must see and experience the same things we do. It really is. It really is, Jeff. There's just so much going on. There's um, so many challenges, but there are districts out there that are hungry to do things differently. And that's really what the exciting part is. When you do have the opportunity to engage with districts that want to do something different because they want to move away from the traditional educational leadership model. So that's that's when I get really excited. 
So you and I had a chance to talk before, so maybe you can help our help our listeners and our and our watchers may understand a little bit about your background because you you know you described yourself to me as not necessarily a traditional educator, even though you've spent time in the classroom. I think that part is really important because we're talking about leadership in schools, but we're also talking about all of the things you bring to the table and your perspective on leadership, not just management. So maybe just walk us through your background as well as your motivation for doing some of the work you're doing now. Sure. Um, I started working in the social services field. Um, you know, I was a therapist at one point, uh, but I moved up in a nonprofit, became a director, had a really bad experience with someone I worked for that caused me to leave. And it really made me reflect on wanting to write a book to help guide people and how to treat people better. And so in doing that, then I started traveling, doing trainings around the country, writing other books. And eventually I left a full-time job to do this consulting full-time about 12 years ago. And then, um, you know, working on your own can be stressful. So I ended up taking a break at one point. And then that's when I got into the classroom. And when I was in the classroom, I started, I, I didn't go in with the intention of writing a book because I had already written nine. But once I got in there, I was like, you know, I'm seeing a lot of things, a lot of challenges. And it's it really seems like, this leadership model that I'm reading about and hearing really needs to take a different turn. And so that led me to write this book. And in, in doing so, numerous school districts have uh, used it. And a couple of them have used the leadership program that I've developed around it as well. So um, I didn't go in it with the intention of doing any of that, but it became very apparent once I got into the classroom that something really needed to change. And that's when I started getting um, really engaged in talking to all my colleagues around the campus, as well as other people that I know who teach. And I was hearing the same thing. And it just led me to believe that something different needs to get done because what's being done is not working. So, you know, um, and I'll remind our listeners that we're talking about the essential handbook for highly effective school leaders as, and as is described in the book, early in the book, um, schools are navigating some unprecedented challenges. I mean, things are different now compared to how they were even five, six years ago. And it's almost reprogrammed a lot of the way that we think and react and, of course, I think are just really burdened by some things in schools that um, we are seeing impacting like a mass exodus of educators in many, many ways. And so... Um, I, I guess my curiosity, when we talk about doing things differently, um, can you maybe unpack that for us? Because I'm, I'm in agreement that these are new challenges. They're going to require some new leadership strategies. So how do we ensure that we're not just re recycling, so to speak? Um, so maybe kind of unpack that for us based on what you're seeing and kind of what you're pitching relative to, let's talk about some new strategies. Sure. And that's a great point you bring up. So we're looking at two different things. Number one, it's looking at a traditional educational leadership model, which is what most people have been trained on, where essentially the principal is what I would call the mayor of the city and where they exert this control and they're telling people what to do. And there typically is not a lot of um, engagement. There's not a lot of, you know, let's work on this together. 
for example, um, this stands out to me um, when I was working um, at the middle school where, the, you know, the principal is on the walkie and she says, you know, what's going on in my bus loop? And just hearing that term, that uh, immediately made me cringe, like my bus loop? I mean, this is our bus loop. This is our school. And just word choice. Word choice makes a big difference. And looking at that, that to me represents what traditional educational leadership looks like. And whether someone's been a principal or assistant principal for, you know, one year, five, 25 years, if not more. And that approach, it didn't work in the past. And it certainly does not work now, especially with the evolving needs of today's workforce. They want leaders who are inclusive, who are checking in with them, who are supportive, who are taking time to find out what do you need from me to be successful here? A very basic question like that can drive sustainable levels of commitment from teachers who are entering the field, very excited to be there, but who quickly find out that uh, not only is uh, classroom management and the behaviors from uh, students as well as parents extremely challenging, but they're not getting a lot of support from their administrators. You know, so what's interesting about, um, and this is an opportunity too for us to compare notes, what's interesting about leaders in the field, let's, uh, principals, whether you describe them as kind of mayors or maybe even superintendents that, you know, are really kind of in charge of systems of, of schools. One thing that's interesting is that there, there are some really, really good people wanting to do the right work. Um, what I see, what we see is the challenges of today are coming so fast and so furiously at leaders that often that tyranny of the urgent is driving the strategy. So they're trying to deal with the problems that come to them so quickly that sometimes getting through the day is the accomplishment, which by the way is not truly accomplishing much other than getting through the Tuesday or the Wednesday, right? So how do you, and you talk about what, what, what teachers hope for in their leaders. What, what thoughts or advice do you have for leaders on how they can get beyond just the, this constant barrage of challenges and really step back and focus on the bigger picture? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a multifaceted question, right? So, but I think uh, part of it is looking at uh, today's um, principals and assistant principals, school leaders, as I, as I see it, they've been trained in a management model. And the management model is what you're saying. It's, it's, it's just managing the, the campus operations, is making sure the students are going to lunch on time, going to activities, covering the classroom when a teacher's out, and going over a variety of things, covering different academics, uh, going over test scores and things of that nature. That's a management model. And the field, as an outsider, my observation is the field likes calling this leadership, but that's management. That's management. Management is getting people to do things, completing tasks. But leadership is very different. And even though they call it educational leadership, that's not what's happening. And so I think from a systemic standpoint, districts need to take a step back and go, what's our vision for what highly effective leadership looks like? 
on a uh, school level. So if I were to walk in, what should I be seeing? What should I be listening to? What, what should people, what should teachers be saying in terms of should I be able to see that excitement that, yeah, there's challenges here, but you know what? There's no other place I'd rather be. And so districts really need to um, take a step back and, and uh, reapproach how they look at the whole premise of leadership. And I think if they can do that, and some that I'm working with are doing that, then you're going to get a better outcome because, again, you're going to create an environment where, where teachers are thriving and in turn students will be thriving. And then it's moving away from the crisis management that you mentioned where just trying to get through the day and managing a variety of things. That stuff will always be there. But again, you need to enlist the teachers and the various other staff throughout the school to be part of the solution. So you don't have to feel like you're handling it all by yourself. So that, that uh, uh, kind of accomplishes and focuses on two specific things. Number one, um, of course, it helps um, leaders almost understand the, the two buckets of responsibilities. There's always going to be management responsibilities, as you mentioned. Um, but management is different than leadership. And, and I, I think you're right. I think that many leaders in an intent to serve they want to serve, and so they try to serve by solving problems, you know, by running around, making sure that if there's a sub missing, they're going to step in and demonstrate to that classroom, I'm here for you. And they'll do the same thing for the community and the parents and so forth. But I do find, I would agree, they fall into a management trap, which is not leadership. So, of course, it begs the question, how do we help leaders understand the difference and two when they find themselves being yanked into the trap of managing versus leaders what what, what can trigger that on their behalf so they know whoa 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 i have i've gone through my kind of cubby time audit today and i realized i was mm -hmm. acting as though everything was urgent even though it probably wasn't and i wasn't focused in the important box it was unimportant and urgent as I described it, which by the way, does not really further the vision to your point is not leadership. How do we help leaders understand the difference? And then how do we help leaders create a trigger for themselves so they can track it? That's a, I mean, an excellent question. So I think it comes from reflection, right? And being able to reflect and having that habit. And as a, a coach that I follow here in South Florida, speaks often about is forming good habits. And one of those things is being reflective and using a journal and journaling on those, ex those daily experiences and looking at, you know, let's look at today, whether you want to rate it, you know, maybe it was very hectic, there was a lot going on, there's a lot of management today, but did I take time to talk to a few teachers today and holding yourself accountable to check in are, are they walking the halls and doing so with, with the intent of checking in? Not walking the halls to let people know that what they're doing or not doing is, how are you doing? Being aware that what are some of the specific challenges that the teachers are going through? Many teachers, they are, it's, it's almost insurmountable the amount of stress they're going through. And what are leaders doing to take time to find out. And that's why I love stay interviews. 
that to me, if principals and assistant principals and you know other administrators would take time to check in with teachers to find out what keeps you coming to school every day? And is what are some opportunities for us? What do you need from me? What do you need from us to you know have the support you need? Getting that and then doing something with it. And that to me is you know creating those systems within the school to where people want to participate and contribute to this thriving community. It's moving beyond terms and creating systems where people are actually part of something. And there is that sense of pride that not only am I an educator, but I'm in an environment to where I know people not only have my back, but I'm just, I, and once again, I'm excited to, to go to school every day. There's challenges, yes, but I know I'm really in it together. And people are checking in with each other, and that's what support looks like. But again, it's creating an environment where everyone is contributing to that. And that's, that's an expectation that leaders create. What do you say, Tim, to leaders that you're, that you're working with, perhaps, when, um, when you're describing certain activities that you know you would recommend that kind of puts them into or, or almost forces them into that kind of leadership quadrant as opposed to just management um when they say tim journaling is the right thing to do um i don't know i don't think i have time <laughs> or by the time journaling becomes available it's 9 15 at night I just finished my last email for the day. I got another 100 emails sitting in my inbox when I wake up at 6 tomorrow morning. Journaling, I would make it through a word before I'm going to fall asleep on the page. What advice do you give to a leader who truly wants to do the right thing and yet is challenged by you know, just, the, just the realities of their scenario? How do, how do you help them? Yeah, and you're right. And I, in fact, I was working with a group recently where someone brought up something similar to that. They're like, Tim, I agree with the stuff that's in your book and I want to implement it, but I don't know where to start. We were having all these issues. We're down teachers. I'm covering a class myself. And I said, well, here's where it starts is you have a lot of people in this school who want to contribute but no one's ever asked them. So it's almost like using a sports analogy. You have a lot of people sitting on a bench. They want to get in the game. And so what are we doing to get people in, to go around and start talking to people and saying, I want, you, uh, whether it's a committee or I, I really want your feedback on this and I want some ideas. And also in addition to your ideas, I want your thoughts on how you can be part of this. This is your school too. This is our school. What are we going to do? Again, not my school. What are we going to do? Showing people that, to me, being inclusive is including people. So everyone is part of it. What are your ideas? What can we do? And so I think that when you start enlisting and getting help from other people, then I, I, the burden will go down. And I think, again, that's the traditional model, the educational leadership model is it's on my shoulders, it's my school, I'm running this versus let's get people involved, starting with the assistant principals and team leads, department heads, but also getting as many people to participate and take ownership. 
This is our school. What are we doing to make this better? And then that's, again, that's what leadership is, is including people and getting the most out of them. And that also gives you commitment. That makes people more committed. And people talk about engagement, but you're not going to get engagements without commitments. And that's how you get it. You know, it's 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 funny listening to you, Tim, because I, you probably didn't do this on purpose, but we recently interviewed Richard Ingersoll, who does this incredible research on issues of teacher retention shortages, and he's been doing it for decades. He's probably the number one researcher right now in the, in the country at the University of Pennsylvania, and he made the point you just did. He said that one le- reason le- teachers are leaving in droves and leaving so quickly from the field isn't, and of course, there's things like pay and compensation. Those are important, but those are not the most important. His point is, yes, are they leaving because of stress and anxiety and being overwhelmed? Of course, but that's still not the number one reason. And the number one reason is that they want to feel, of course, part of something. They want to feel like their contribution makes a dramatic difference, not just with the kids that they're serving, but within the school. They appreciate being part of the organization and being asked and being invited. In the meantime, you have leaders potentially, as you described, working as hard as they can to support overwhelmed teachers. But the dilemma is they may not be asking the right questions on behalf of the teachers, which is, can you lean in and contribute and be part of something even bigger than your classroom, which is our school, to your earlier point, our versus mine. So whether you meant to or not, I think it really aligns with a lot of the teacher research on retention. So I think that's phenomenal. I, I do hope that our leaders, when they hear this, they start to think about, well, instead of worrying so much about asking too much of my teachers, am I asking the right thing? Does that make sense to you? Oh, sure. I, and I have another example, if, if I may. Yeah. I, I think about, um, I'm, like I said, I'm a non-traditional educator, and meaning that I didn't go to school to be a teacher. I was not a teacher before I got dropped into a classroom. And, you know, I felt I was pretty adaptive. So I, I could, I could, you know, work with that and, and do pretty well, I feel. But um, this one colleague of mine, Again, another non-traditional educator, but again, not a dynamic individual. And so he was a math teacher. They drop him into and gave him a really several in middle school. So he had six classes, very challenging students. And so he had no background in classroom management. Again, just really struggled in all um, phases of instruction. And what I found was so amazing is when I spoke to him, and I asked him, I said, what kind of support and mentoring did you get? He said, Tim, I got, I, I got handed a classroom and that was it. And I thought, what a, what a, what a uh, terrible way to give someone an introduction to be, a, to be an educator and one of the most important jobs one can have. And so what are we doing? What are uh, leaders doing? What are schools doing to make sure new teachers, especially non-traditional educators, are given as much support as possible and having a tiered structure for this mentoring. And that to me is what a good, strong school community looks like, is where they're aware of new teachers and they're taking initiative to want to help. So again, my vision, 
And the leader's vision would be even on someone's planning periods, they're like, hey, I'm gonna stop by and check on this uh, this new teacher, on you know, Dr. Rose or Dr. Nolan, I'm gonna go check on them. And because um, I wanna make sure they're, they're doing okay. The leaders create that, they create that expectation and get them to see beyond themselves. Because if that teacher doesn't make it, then our school comes up short. Our students come up short. Our community is severely negatively impacted. Do we want that? So getting people to care, but that's what leaders do. And so they have to move beyond these feelings of being overwhelmed and, and management. They have to get to a point of, again, enlisting other people, but it comes with a vision comes with a vision and looking at what should it look like. And that's where I feel that the leadership uh, departments of districts have a lot of work to do and getting and really crafting what leadership looks like, not management. Um, in, in chapter nine, uh, you, I think this, I, I, I'm hoping I got this correct, but the, the 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 title there was refocusing on your professional growth. This was specific to leaders, how leaders refocus on their professional growth. Well, to our point earlier that sometimes you probably hear this as well, that it's really hard to focus on myself because I'm spending so much time trying to help and support other people. Uh, my point that I'm trying to constantly push with our members um, is that by focusing on yourself, it actually helps you serve others. Right? There is a return on the investment for really setting aside time for yourself to learn and to grow professionally. And there's a variety of ways to do that. That's not just sitting and listening to a podcast. It can be that, but often it is finding a community of other leaders for which you can learn from and you can contribute to, etc. which is why we have the leadership circle. But can you... Can you comment on the need and maybe even the return on investment for leaders if, in fact, they do refocus on their own professional development? You're right. And by doing that, you're also modeling for everyone else, um, your, your leadership team within the school as well as teachers, especially when you can discuss that, when you can re show a reflection where you could say, you know, I was in a classroom the other day and I was reflecting on that experience and I was reflecting back to when I was a teacher or when X, Y, and Z. And I think part of that is being able to share and model. But again, you have to do that. And again, leaders, leaders lead the way. They create those expectations, but they have to model and they have to live those values. By doing that, then it incentivizes other people to say, okay, it can be done. This person has a really difficult job just like me, but they've been a teacher. So if you can reflect on things that you did or changes that you made when you were in the classroom, you know, looking at that, especially as being a principal and assistant principal, there are meetings when they get together. And what is being done to take initiative and reach out and say, hey, can I pick your brain? Can, can maybe we can grab coffee one morning before we have to be at school? Or, you know, I think school districts need to do a better job of creating these opportunities and encouraging people to link up with each other and having these uh, robust professional relationships that will increase collaboration 
increase information sharing, and just knowing that you're not the only one. You're not the only one with these challenges. And what's being done to get people together to share these ideas so that we're not recreating the wheel one school at a time is here's what's working. And we have this forum that internally where we're doing this and we're, we're leading, leading by connecting with each other because guess what? By doing that, then you start doing this for um, APs and then you start doing it for teachers where they're c- connecting with other colleagues around the, the, the city, the county, the state or the, the country, if that matter. And I think you guys are already doing a lot of that, but I think that building that internal capacity as well. Do you, um, I'm going to sound like a broken record to some of our members or listeners that I, I often refer to Heifetz, who was a uh, professor at the Harvard Business School a number of years ago. And he wrote about this concept of leaders either being on the dance floor or the balcony and needing to find a balance the balcony allows the leader to actually assess right the the rhythm of the dance floor truly understand what is happening so when they get dragged back to the dance floor they could be strategic right and so i actually live most of my life now on the balcony right i am no longer um, a superintendent, a principal, etc. Um, so I have the opportunity to kind of read and focus, kind of like what we're discussing here. But in the meantime, a lot of our members uh, find themselves too often on the dance floor. You also probably on the balcony with me. What are some of the trends that you see coming that educational leaders should be paying attention to that perhaps they're not because they're doing too much dancing? I think it just comes down to understanding um, younger generation workers, uh, younger generation teachers, and knowing that when, from a uh, traditional standpoint, the power differential was very, the gap was very wide. Do do as you're told, and I'll I'll let you know as needed. But today's workforce, the power differential is much closer, and so. People today are expecting their leaders to check in. They want to talk about their stressors, their feelings about certain things. They want to be able to offer ideas. It's an expectation. And if today's uh, school leaders are not being proactive with that, they're going to further drive away teachers. They're going to further drive down their commitment. And so leaving the field, they they may end up transferring schools, which is a loss in itself. And so oftentimes we're seeing principals who maybe want to bring in their own people, if you will, but you, you, you still need to build this culture. You, there's not always so many people and of your people, if you will, that you can bring from other schools, and, but you still need to be able to tend to people's needs. And again, the stay interviews would be one of the biggest approaches, I think, principals and empowering the APs to conduct these as well. And when you start doing that, you're, you're taking into those needs of today's workforce. And so, again, leaders need to be adaptive. And just by checking in, then you're finding out not only what's, what the stressors are, but what you need. To me, you can accomplish so much with one simple activity. So... Um... Your, your book, and I'll reference it again, The Essential Handbook for Highly Effective School Leaders, um, one thing that's, that the listeners should know if they, if they haven't looked into the book is it, it does read 
like a handbook, it's very clear, right? You don't, um, there's, there's not a lot of waste in time and energy. You get to it, there's a lot of bullets with very specific input and advice, um, which, by the way, I think is really needed at a time like this. Sometimes it's important that we're just pragmatic, right? And so the content can be mm -hmm. digestible. And um, so this is a question we ask all of our leader chat guests. So kind of trying to round out this discussion, most of our conversations with leaders are around a table. This is the one thing that we do where we send them content in video or audio form. But if you and I were to pretend that we're at a round table with other district leaders, school leaders, and um, what would be kind of your final elevator pitch words of wisdom you would want to leave them with? It would be that to listen to your teachers, to involve them in creating expectation. And that, that is what a modern educational leadership looks like, that school districts need to put, put uh, thought into what modern educational leadership looks like because it looks very different than what most districts are using. And if they want to get teachers to stay, number one, and to do and continue to do a great job, a modern educational leadership approach is needed. Well, Tim, I want to say uh, thank you for this time. I'm glad that we were introduced. I'm glad that I had the opportunity to uh, talk with you, delve into your book and so forth. And I also would hope that you feel um, as encouraged as possible to know, at least from my perspective, as a traditional educator, right? I've teacher, principal, elementary, high school, superintendent three times over. So I am a career-long educator. But I also recognize the need for us, traditional, and I'm air quoting for people who aren't seeing this video, traditional educators to learn mm -hmm. from some that are not. And I think that's really important. And um, it's something I hope that you continue to push very confidently because there are many, um, me being one of them, who believe that's really important. And I, I want to thank you for the work that you're doing as well as your time today. I, I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Jeff, for having me on the show. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Okay, Tim, will you be well? Ladies and gentlemen, um, that, that, that's, that, that's what I hope for. It's, it's so nice to be introduced to people like Tim because we, we do have so much to learn and there is a traditional way of leading. And often, to Tim's point, leading can sometimes look like and sound like and probably feel like management. We do need to manage, but we're also actually hired to lead a community, whether that be a school community or a district community to have a vision and a strategy that empowers our people to serve our children. And I, I know that's what Tim is getting at. And so I hope that you're as thankful for this conversation as I was. Educators, ladies, gentlemen, leaders, be well.